0: Well, I'm going to invite you to buckle up and get out your pen, and get ready to take some notes. We're going to go through some scripture this morning, and I have uh, a what I believe is a, a very timely word, message to share with us. The Lord's put it on my heart. Um, as it relates to the title of our message, of course, Walking by Faith More in 2024, people often make... Uh, New Year's resolutions around this time of year, right? Maybe you are thinking of some that you're going to make. And yet at the same time when we make those, uh, we know that it may not be long before we break that resolution. And so uh, the exhortation this morning is that instead of a, a New Year's resolution, what about uh, deciding to take a step of faith? forward in the way in which God wants to work in your life in 2024? What about instead of a New Year's resolution, a New Year step of faith? What steps of faith would you take this year? For the purpose of growing in Christ, for the purpose of, of Him uh, growing in you and I, what steps of faith would you take this year that, that might be new? You know, our faith is like a muscle. Uh, it is strengthened in a variety of ways. We're told in, of course, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, James 1, 2, and 4. Peter talks about hardships uh, strengthening our faith. 1 Peter 1, 6, he says, "...in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory..." at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is strengthened in many ways. We are told Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Christians in Corinth. He said to them in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. The Christian's journey through this life is not based on the things that our eyes see, but based on the faith in Christ that indwells us. We're reminded in Scripture, as we just read, that without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists. He is is alive and quick and powerful and active in in the human heart and human life, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Paul gave us the foundation for a faith that grows when he told us in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So our faith is strengthened by the Word of God, by hardship, by testing. So what steps of faith will you take this year? There is a principle in Scripture that will guide our study this morning and it's important for each of us to, to know that it exists. And the principle goes something like this. God will never give us step two and three until we have taken step one. Let me restate it. God will withhold step two and step three of steps of faith in our life until we have taken step one. And there are four examples of this that I want to share with us this morning that solidify this principle that is true in Scripture. And maybe to some of you this would be uh, familiar news. Maybe to some of you it's uh, old news. Maybe some it's new news, but you know what? It, it's the good news. And it's exciting that God wants his children to live by faith and take steps of faith as they go forward in their life. I shared some of these principles Friday night. We got our leadership together and talked about the year ahead, and some of them are here this morning, so I'll speak loud once in a while when I see them falling off, because they've heard this already, but not that they ever would. But it's important to know that There's this principle that until we take step one, God withholds step two and step three. And the examples we're going to look at this morning, we're going to race through a couple, uh, several scriptures. We're going to look at two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. So so buckle up. Here we go. Turning your Bible back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 12, all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, as we look at none other than Abraham. He is our first example. And if you look at verse 1, it's a verse pregnant with this principle. I'll read it for us if you're looking at it. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. You might underline that, a land I will show you. In other words, here's here's the invitation, Abraham. I need you to take the first step of faith and leave. And as you take that step, then I'll show you where you're going. I don't promise you ease. I don't promise you comfort. But here's what I will promise you. Notice in uh, verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Uh, uh, Notice, age is no disclaimer. You can't say, well, I'm too old. No, you know, age does not matter here. It's all about God speaking to you and you taking that first step of faith. But notice what happened in... uh, Uh, verse 2 and verse 3, what he did promise is, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Powerful. Step one, Abram. And What happens after that? Well, if you look at verse 7 and 8, Abram takes that step, and he begins to travel. And as he passes through uh, a variety of places, the Lord speaks to him in verse 7, appears to him, and said to him, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord it appeared to him verse 8 and he moved from there to the mountain east of bethel and he pitched his tent with bethel on the west and ai on the east and there he built an altar to the lord and he called on the name of the lord without doubt the the first thing that we can see in this obedient first step of faith though he doesn't know where it's leading he's not you know doesn't have it all lined up but what we see immediately is a deeper conversation and relationship with almighty God God comes to him and says that's it now I want to tell you what I'm going to do and Abram's response who becomes Abraham is that he calls upon the name of the Lord you know To your descendants I will give this land. That's what we're still dealing with. This is like a 4,000-year-old promise, and it's right in our face today. That those who are against the people of Israel do not agree that their land is theirs. Amazing. Someday we should just take a morning to show what's happening over in Israel. But direct first fruit, notice that. And if you're taking note, direct first fruit from this first step is a greater and deeper conversation with God. Now, what's true, and uh, Chris is my helper this morning. He's going to whiz through some of these screens of the outline. What's true is that the steps that followed were many. Step 2, and 5, rescuing Lot, ties to Melchizedek, uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, his son, the covenant of circumcision, the promise to carry, to have a child that would carry on his lineage. I mean, steps followed, but step one had to be taken first. Now, let's agree that there were mistakes along the way. I mean, there were st- mistakes along the way. Lying to the Egyptian Pharaoh almost got him killed. Hagar and Ishmael, oi vei. I mean, listening to the counsel of his wife, and then we have an entire nation of people known as the Arab who are adamantly against Israel. Sarah laughing, and Abram joining in that laughter when the promise of a child in his old age, hey. Many steps followed, mistakes along the way, but in the end, in the end, all the blessings and promises that God made were fulfilled because he took step one. The second one I want us to consider this morning, and there are many in the scripture, but we're going to look at Gideon. Turn in your Bible to the right to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And in Gideon's life, we find... Uh, An interesting uh, magnification of this principle that God will never give step two and three until he gives step one. In the life of Gideon, if you're unfamiliar, um, Gideon was an Israelite, and the people of Israel at the time of this writing were basically under the oppressive hand of a people group called the Midianites. And so oppressed were they that they didn't want the Midianites to get their livestock, to get their um, produce. And so they had to hide when they farmed, when they harvested, because the Midianites could arrive on the scene at any time, almost like the terrorist attack of October 7, and just rape and pillage and, and take from Israel what they wanted. And so here's this everyday guy, farmer, hiding out in a cave, threshing wheat, so that his family and his neighbors can can have some food. He's not some miraculous, you know, over-the-top, perfect person. He's an everyday Joe, and he's doing what everyday Joes do in that moment. And if you'll notice in verse 12 of chapter 6, the Lord appears to Gideon. And he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. An angel of the Lord. Comes into that cave and he goes, You're a mighty man of valor. Can you hear hey, Who was that? <laughs> Not who, me? Not me. No, I'm just, go away. I'm fine, you know. That whisper of I see you differently than you see you. You move down to verse 14. And the Lord speaking to him again says, Gideon, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Holy moly. What he's saying, what the Lord is saying to this everyday Joe and to you and I who are just everyday people, he's saying, I see you differently than you you see you. And I want you to go in the strength that you currently have right now because I am with you. And that thing that I want to achieve victory in in your life victory in in your circumstance, victory in in the the surrounding circumstances around you, don't wait, just go. And it would be fair to say that if, you know, you woke up this morning and there was Jesus and he said, hey, I want you to go just as you are and do this monumental thing, whatever it would be. You might go, uh, 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 Lord, are you sure? Come on, track with me. I mean, maybe all of you would go, okay, I'll go, yeah. But I know me, you know. And Gideon, verse 15. So Gideon says, Lord, uh, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm just a little guy. Lord, are you sure you got the right person? That's a better response than, hey, he's got me. Tongue in cheek. And so the Lord says to him in verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Yes, Gideon, it's me speaking. You're the guy. I'm with you. Now, there's this everyday person doing everyday things that God speaks to and says, I need you, I want you, I'm inviting you to take step one. Go in the might that you have. If you look down to verse 22... Gideon realizes there's no way out. This is truly God speaking to him. He perceived that he, the one speaking to him, was the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Yep, this is a real conversation. Now, as with Abraham, the steps that followed for Gideon were several. Um, Some of you who know your Old Testament or know the book of Judges, you remember the fleece, right, chapter 6. If it's really you, God, he puts a, a fleece on the ground and he says, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And behold, God makes the fleece wet and the ground dry. He goes, okay, okay, I, I'm getting there, but I'm not quite there, Lord. Now make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And the Lord makes the fleece dry and the ground wet. And so Gideon, wanting to just agree with this thing that God is saying to him, he, he creates a little offering, right, to the Lord, remember? And, and then Fire comes down and God consumes the offering saying, glad we're on the same page, Gideon, good. I mean, the steps were several that came after. Oh, what about the 300 men drinking water, remember? Started out with 32,000. So... Gideon goes to the Israelites and he gathers 32,000 men to go against the Midianites. Hey, that's, that's good. And the Lord says, it's too many because the men will take the glory. And so he says, tell them anyone who is fearful, uh, go ahead and you can go home. And so Gideon says to the men, if any of you don't want to go, you can go. And whew, 22,000 leave from 32 to 10 now. And Gideon goes, okay, God, we're good, good, right? 10,000. And the Lord says, no, still too many. I want you to take those 10,000 men up to uh, the water. And we've been there. Sherry and I have been to that place where uh, Gideon took them. And I want you to tell them to get a drink. And then I want you to observe how they drink. Have you ever read this? It's powerful. It's amazing how God uses natural things to, to provide supernatural wisdom. And so he, all those men went to the, the pool there and they started to drink. And God spoke to Gideon and said, the ones that get down and lap with their palm to their hand as opposed to getting on both hands and just lap, licking like this, unable to see around them. He said, the ones that bring the water to their hand and are looking as they drink, those are the men that will go with you in battle. Why? Because they're showing they're ready. And it was 300. From 10,000 to 300. There was the dream, I can't spend too much time here, but there was the dream that Gideon overheard. Remember, he went down to the camp of the Midianites, and there were two Midianites by a fire, and they were talking about how someone had had a dream, and in the dream, the Midianites had been defeated by the Israelites, and Gideon is across the way in the brush, and he hears this dream, and he knows that's that's the Lord confirming And Sure enough, The Midianites were defeated. Step one was go in this might that you have. I hope you're being encouraged. Next person, New Testament, Peter, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn all the way over to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts, we come to Peter, our third example, first New Testament example And a lot of you may know the background of Peter, but, you know, at this point in life, I'll just give a real brief history. Peter is a Christian. He's walked with Jesus three years plus while Jesus was here. Jesus is resurrected. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter is a part of the 119 others that were in the upper room, and the Spirit of God falls they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and out into the streets of Jerusalem they go and Peter begins sharing his faith, preaching amazing messages and you would think, Peter's got it all. Well, He was there with the 120. What else could Peter need? Does he need to grow anymore? Yes. Because Peter had a bias. And his bias was for Jews. And he was great with the salvation in Christ for the Jewish community but in his heart of hearts he had this little thing against Gentiles. Boy, you guys are quiet this morning. And so so you remember the account. God first of all speaks to a Roman soldier named Cornelius who is like as. Gentile as long as a Gentile can be, and tells Cornelius to send for this man named Peter. And then God speaks to Peter. Remember what happened? He was going down to Caesarea, and he got hungry, and he came to a house, and and so he went up on the rooftop, and the rooftop of homes in that culture and area, even today, are not gabled shingled roofs, they're, they're open spaces where you go up and enjoy the out of doors and you can rest and relax and Peter goes up, up to rest and relax and, and he gets hungry and we're told he goes into a trance, how's that for God using natural circumstances to provide supernatural environment and in, while in his trance, in his dreaming he sees come down from heaven this sheet and it's filled with all kinds right, Excuse me. It's filled with all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Verses 11, 12, 13. Verse 14 of chapter 10, Peter says, well, verse 13, a voice. Huh, wonder who this is. We're told later it's the Spirit of God. A voice says to Peter in the dream, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. All these uh, Judaism absolute no-nos. If you are close to God and you're a Jew and you practice Judaism, you cannot do this, 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 and this because it will change your relationship with God. And here comes all this stuff that the voice says, do that. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. You see what he says? Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice has to speak a second time. The voice comes to him and says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And, you know, none of you in this room, I'm sure, but I'll put myself in this place. Peter's a little hard-headed. Three times the pièce de résistance really is in verse twenty, because while Peter was thinking about this vision, the Spirit said to him, "Behold, three men are at the uh, are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them." Here, get your pen out and underline it on the Bible of the person next to you or yours. Doubting nothing. Underline that. Doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Who's the I in that verse? The Spirit of God. Step one, Peter. There's three men at the door. Get up and go with them. But that's all I'm going to tell you right now, Peter. Just get up and go with. But no, you're on a need-to-know basis. When you need to know, I'll tell you. I hope you're enjoying this. I love this study. So Peter goes, right? He he gets up and he goes. And you know, some of you know the rest of the story. But step one, again, was going down, answering that door, and going with those men. What were the steps that followed? Oh, man, it resulted in a Gentile Roman soldier named Cornelius getting saved, his entire household getting saved, and for Peter, an entire paradigm shift in his brain of what Jesus wants to do in the Gentile world. Step one. Last but not least, I'll make it quick. Try back up to Acts chapter 8, and we talk about Philip. Because Philip, again, is a classic example of God will withhold step 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 until you decide to take step 1. And I'll bring our attention in chapter 8 to verse 4. When the persecution hit Jerusalem, Philip had been a guy who had basically waited on tables to the Hellenistic widows. And so he was an everyday Joe, saw a need, he was appointed to, to help with a need. But then when the persecution came and the church began to flourish, the Christians scattered and one of the places they went down to was Samaria and Peter went down there Verse 5 of chapter 8 of Acts, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And notice, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city." Philip finds himself in the middle of a beautiful work of God. He's sharing what Christ has done in his life, and as a result of the Spirit of God working through him, people are getting saved, people are getting healed. In in the entire city, there's great joy. Wouldn't you just want to pull up a chair and say, okay, I'm here forever, No one wants to leave when it's beautiful. But I bring you to verse 26. Because in the midst of that, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. And yes, that's that Gaza we're dealing with today. One of the Uh, authoritative things about the Bible that it is true, is that it still deals with historical and physical places that exist. The Bible is true. And so he is to leave and go down to this Gaza and the Lord tells him, the angel of the Lord tells him, notice the last three words of that verse. This is desert. (laughs) Philip, leave this beautiful place you're in where there's all this beautiful activity going on and I'm I'm at work in people's lives like like nobody's business and I want you to go down to this place that's like desert. Step one. That's all I'm going to give you right now, Philip. Well, we'll try and breeze through this really quickly. Um, he arose, which is obedience. Verse 27, when he gets down there, some of you know the story. A man, uh, uh, behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged, and that's a whole Bible study right there, of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And... Can't explain that right now, but would be happy to do that sometime. Verse 28, and was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So Philip basically says, okay, I'll do step one. I don't understand it. I'm just going to do it. He gets down there, and here's this Ethiopian in the chariot. He's reading in uh, Isaiah step two. Notice step two, verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Would he have gotten step two if he hadn't taken step one? He would not have. So in step two, he goes, verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip begins to kind of put things together. Hey, do you really understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, How can I unless somebody guides me he said will you come up into the chariot and help me understand what I'm reading whoa flash 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 open door open door open door open door you ever get some of those open doors you know you're sitting there if you're anything like me sometimes when those doors are that wide you go what do I do what do I do now you know And the text tells us, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture that he was at in Isaiah, he preached Jesus to him. It's all about Jesus. We would have never gotten to step two and step three and step four if we hadn't taken step one. So I'm winding up this morning and I want to, exhort you, what steps of faith will you take this year? Will it be perhaps more of Christ in your home and in your heart? Embracing a new Bible study with others that you've never considered doing. You know, I'm fine in my Christianity, don't really need to be but hey, whoa, time out. A step of faith of of growing with others and closer to others. What about sharing your faith with someone new? Stepping out in an area of faith to serve here at Calvary Chapel of Valley Springs. Maybe even the thought of being a missionary to the homeless in Stockton or the homeless in Modesto or the needy somewhere else. What new step of faith will you take this year? I'll close by asking you to turn in your Bible to where did my text go. 1 Corinthians 15. So turn to your right a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15. And I bring your eyes to verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15:58. Maybe this is your step of faith this year that says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Maybe that's a fresh new step of faith for you this year. There's a second reason that I'm sharing this with all of you this morning. Perhaps those of you who are watching at home, I wanted to be sure and welcome you at the outset of the service. And it has to do with me personally. Uh, I have a step one that the Lord is prompting me to take. And step one for me is recognizing this. That my heart attack last year has caused me to reassess things in my own life. And what I know that I'm to do is I'm to find a different gear. Being your senior pastor and doing what I do here is such an honor and a privilege. My wife and I have treasured it and do treasure it. But it's time for me to change. My health dictates it. And the health of this body dictates it as well. If you think about what took place during my heart attack months last year, as Pastor Austin stepped into the pulpit, and all of you continued to step up in this church, just kept thriving and going. Because we are a healthy fellowship. It's a healthy body of believers. To take the senior out and have things just go on, is exactly what blesses and pleases the Lord. So I have decided that in April of 2024, I will be passing the mantle of the senior pastor role to Pastor Austin. He and Rebecca will be stepping in as your new senior pastor. Uh, The board of directors, we've been in discussion about this for many months. Sherry and I, uh, come April, plan to travel. Uh, We're going to jump into whatever vehicle's still running in our lives and and head out to see family across the U.S. and friends across the U.S. We plan to be gone at least three months, and during that three months, we're, we're doing that purposefully a couple of reasons. One, for us to decompress of, of what shouldering the role as a senior pastor here does and is, although no one does this unless they're called to it, and I'm called to being a pastor, a Bible teacher, a worship leader. And that's what I will continue to be. I just won't carry the senior pastor role here. That will be Austin. And so we're going to travel those three months and give you as believers time to settle in to uh, this young man and his wife Rebecca and their leadership team. And we are trusting the work of the Lord in your lives to continue to help this to be a smooth transition. You know, beloved, we are in a unique place where the man coming in to take the founding pastor's position is not somebody you don't know. We're not going to go through two, three, or four different candidates. The board of directors, elder board, has agreed that Austin is that man, and he has shown himself faithful you receive from him in many different ways as a, as a Bible teacher, as a children's ministry director. And so if you are willing and able to embrace this transition as much as the leadership currently is that we spoke with on Friday night, and stop any undercurrents of, well, oh, well, why did, we didn't do it that way, or why are we doing it that way? You know, this is a healthy body of believers, and that kind of interchange uh, can be resolved easily through open communication. When we return in April, May, June, July, whatever, we plan to be sitting in a pew next to you. How's that for a rhyme? We'll be in a pew next to you, a chair. Right? We might bounce around, I'm sure you would Because you're our family, you're our church family. We're, that doesn't change. We don't want it to change. If our presence is a problem, we would feel we need to leave, and we don't want to leave. So don't make our presence a problem. <laughs> How's that for an exhortation? <laughs> it's up to you, I mean, you know, whispering and backbiting and complaining. Those aren't of the Lord, right? So that's my step one. I don't know. That's our step one. I don't know where this is going. Uh, We will remain available to, to talk with, to pray with, to counsel. But if there's an issue about why the church is doing something one way or another, we're going to point you to the current leadership and we will not discuss those things with you. And we believe that's the Lord, that that's the way the Lord would have us to do it. Um, so be in prayer over these next three months. Okay, uh, we're with you. We're not going anywhere. We're here January, February, March. Uh, there's going to be times when Austin is fulfilling the pulpit We're going to do a little more of him, a little less of me as time goes on. I'll continue to be leading worship. Uh, And we're just trusting the Lord in this transition because I've been given step one. And we're trusting you to understand. So, walking by faith more in two thousand and 24. Please be in prayer for this body, its witness in the community, its cohesiveness during time of transition. This coming Wednesday night, we anticipate that some of you may have questions. And those are healthy things. Uh, As we meet Wednesday night in our regular Bible study, we're actually going to set things to the side for a moment, and Austin and I We'll make ourselves available to answer any questions about how things are going to go that you might have. So please come if you do have questions, and we'll go from there. But um, there's a letter in your mailbox tomorrow or the day after that is basically everything I've shared with you this morning. We've made sure that everybody that calls this place home is now informed. Those of you who are watching at home, If you're not on our mailing list, you're now informed as well. And we trust the Lord will continue to bless you. So what I'd like us to do this morning is close with a song of worship, a song that points us to the Lord, because this is his church. Jesus does not stop being the head here. Amen? So join me in a word of prayer, closing worship song. Amen. Heavenly Father, what can we as your people say except that you are good and we don't always understand all that you do the ways in which you do them you've reminded us that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts your ways are higher than our ways but we are your people Lord and you've promised that you're in our midst when we gather that you'll never leave us never forsake us and so Lord this morning we just want to tell you we love you and pour out what we know that change will bring questions it will bring challenge but Lord you've prepared us for this if if there's anything, we just want to see you glorified through it all. I want to see you glorified, Lord. So we cry out to you this morning, Lord, we give you our lives going into this year. What steps of faith you might lay on the heart of each and every one of us. Step one, in Jesus' name we pray.